0: Let's come to God's word. Billy's already prayed for me, so I'm just going to go for it. Um, uh, we're, we're coming uh, near the end of our journey through Isaiah. Um, we're coming towards the third and final section of Isaiah. We're not quite in the third and final section yet, uh, but we're almost there. We're on the threshold of it. Um, and I just want to remind you of the kind of little overview of the book that we've put up a couple of times and uh, kind of these three sections. Um, the first section is addressed to the people of Judah when they are under threat uh, from enemies, especially the Assyrian Empire, which is coming nearer and nearer. And the, the first section is full of warnings that Judah need to change their ways and turn their life around and, and so on. Um, the second section, uh, which we've been in for the last few weeks, is addressed to the, the people of Judah when they are already in exile in Babylon the worst thing that they can imagine has happened. And so in that middle section, God speaks words of comfort to people who have just lived through disaster. Um, And whenever we get into the final section, which is kind of where we're on the edge of now, um, the final section is really addressed to the people of Judah after the exile as they return to the land. And so it's full of themes of return and restoration and rebuilding and especially by a kind of note of joy that runs through that whole final section. And so I hope you'll see chapter 55, which is right on the edge of that final section, um, which we're going to read this morning. Uh, That note of joy, which is going to characterise the final section, um, you'll see very much introduced um, here in this chapter. So that's setting the scene for where we are. Um, I'm going to take time to read the whole chapter this morning. Um, It's one of those chapters I couldn't pick bits out of it to read because it is glorious from start to finish. Um, So, Isaiah 55, let's take time and read it together. You can follow on the screen or you can follow along in your own Bible. The prophet says this, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him, I think I've skipped a little bit there, i oh, sorry. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways, and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. and be led forth in peace, and the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush bush will grow the juniper, instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever." Um, And again, as I often do, I want to encourage you, find a quiet place this week. Uh, Find a beautiful place somewhere in the sunshine um, and read that chapter and read it again and it will do you a lot of good. Um, I want to to start with this question, or two questions really. Um, What is your desire and what is your purpose? Um, As you go about your life, each day, um, as you speak and act and live and work, um, I guess in some ways I'm asking, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, on the days when you're really working hard and running around doing stuff, what is it that is driving you? What is it that is motivating you? What is your desire and your purpose? The, the question of motivation is really important because otherwise our, our activity becomes empty. We just run around like headless chicken, chickens doing stuff. But what is the desire that is motivating us? What is the purpose that we're aiming for? Those are good questions to to ponder. But let me flip the question and ask you this. What is God's desire? What is God's purpose? Um, I guess we can't really ask what gets God out of bed in the morning. um, That's not, not really his thing. But what, what, is, what is God's motivation? All, all through the Bible, God is acting. God is working. Jesus said one time, my father is always working. Um, God is always speaking. He's always acting. He's always doing things. He's creating and saving and blessing and all the different things that he does. But what is the motivation of God's heart? I wonder if you ever stopped and thought about that. What is his desire? What is his purpose? Um, and I think there are lots of ways that we could answer that question. You could maybe go to different parts of the Bible to provide a different answer. But I think the passage we read this morning points us to one answer that maybe might be a little bit surprising. Um, and I want to I show you where, where we see this in the passage. I, wanna, I, want, I want you to look with me at how verse 10 and 11 flow into verse 12. This is one of my favorite bits in the book of Isaiah. Um, it talks about the rain and the snow. I know we have to imagine this a little bit because there's, there's no rain or snow today. Um, but it talks about how the rain and the snow have a purpose. They come down to do something. What is the purpose of the rain and the snow? It is to bring life, to bring, bring fruitfulness to the earth. And then it talks about how God's word, when God is speaking, and of course in the Bible God's speaking and God's acting Always go together, but when God is speaking, that also has a purpose. And it says that God's word will accomplish what he desires and achieve the purpose for which he sent it. And so you're kind of on tenderhooks going, well, what is that desire and what is that purpose for which God has sent his word? And then we read on, and it says, You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace on the mountains and the hills will break in the song before you and the trees of the field will clap their hands. And so I want to suggest that according to this part of God's word, God's desire and God's purpose is to bring joy. To bring joy to you, to bring joy to all of God's people, to bring joy actually to the whole earth. That is God's desire. That's the burning, motivating desire of God's heart. And I wonder immediately when we say that, um, I wonder, does that surprise you? I wonder, is that how you think of God? That every day, that every moment of every day, the desire of God's heart, as he looks at the earth, as he looks at his creatures, as he looks at us, is to bring joy, the kind of joy expressed in our phrase for this week, that the trees of the field will clap their hands. Is that the way you think of God? It's a very playful image, isn't it? It's a beautiful, poetic image. Is that how you think of God? That He wants to bring that kind of joy to your life and to the life of the person beside you and to the lives of our neighbours and to the world? Um, At the the centre of all God's working and speaking in the Bible, of course, is the person of Jesus. Jesus is the living Word of God. And so God's sending His Word sends Jesus? And maybe um, if you don't quite believe me yet, that this joy is God's purpose and desire, um, what if we ask the question, well, why did God send Jesus to the earth? Um, And again, there are lots of ways that we could answer that depending where we dip into scripture. But one of the ways the Bible answers that question is again to speak of joy. And so On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the night before his death, um, as he was thinking about what lay ahead of him, um, you, you would have expected him to talk about all kinds of things, but maybe not this, that again and again, as Jesus talks to his disciples in the upper room in John 13 to 17, he talks about joy. He says things like this, he says to his disciples, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And then in the next chapter, he says, until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And again, in the next chapter, as Jesus prays to his father, he says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they, the disciples, the disciples, may have the full measure of my joy within them. The night before he goes to the cross, the mind and heart of Jesus is consumed with a desire that his disciples would be filled overflowing with joy. And so the writer to the Hebrews, when he reflected on the life and death of Jesus, said Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame for the joy set before him. Um, the goal of all God's work in our world, the purpose of Jesus coming into our world to live and die and rise, the aim of God giving us his word is that you would be filled with joy and not only you but your friends and your neighbours and your colleagues and the strangers you pass in the street each day and all the people of the earth as God promised to Abraham. One, one songwriter says his final aim to fill with joy the earth that, ma- that man all but destroyed. His final aim, to fill with joy the earth that man all but destroyed. I wonder, is that your view of God this morning? <laughs> that that is God's desire and God's purpose. It may require an adjustment in our view of God. I think it's, it's worth pausing to reflect. God cannot make us joyful unless he himself is joyful. Um, Jesus said his goal was that his joy would be in us, that the thing that's in him would get shared with us. He wants to share the overflow of his own nature with us. And again, I wonder, is that your view of God? That God himself is a fountain of delight and joy and gladness, that he is the source of all joy. Um, Some of us, when we imagine God, can imagine nearly any other emotion in God other than gladness and joy. And if that's the case, we need to think again. Um, So we may need a little adjustment in our view of God, but I want to ask an important question. Um, And maybe it's a slightly uncomfortable question. Um, Are we known as people who are filled with joy? Maybe to ask it more broadly, are Christians in our land, in our time, known as people who are filled with joy. When people think of Christians um, in our time and place, um, is joy what we're famous for? Is joy what we're associated with? Um, Whenever I was studying in Canada, um, one of my favorite lecturers was a a man called Bruce Hindmarsh. Um, Bruce was a historian um, who specialised in the time of the early evangelicals. So people like John Wesley and his brother Charles and George Whitfield and John Newton and the time of the great revivals that broke out across England and beyond. Um, and it, it, was, it was a time when hundreds and thousands of people came to faith in Jesus. And it was the beginning of a movement that changed the world. And so people have studied that, that movement. Um, and one historian Uh, One British historian called David Bebington, who studied evangelicalism, identified four characteristics of these evangelicals. This will have a point, by the way. Stay with me. Uh, And uh, So his description of the four characteristics of evangelicals was that from the very beginning, they've had a big focus on the Bible, a big focus on the cross, a focus on personal conversion, and also a focus on activism especially evangelism, right? And so I'm guessing most of us can kind of recognize that. That movement has flown to, flowed down to today, and those are all things that we hope still characterize us in MCF, a focus on the Bible, a focus on the cross, the need for personal conversion, and the need for us to get involved and do stuff, especially share the good news that we've been given. But Bruce Heinmarsh Um, spent a lot of time studying the early evangelicals and reading their letters and their journals. Um, And as he did that, he felt there was one big thing missing from that description and definition of evangelicalism. And that one thing was joy. The thing that really struck him as he read the first-hand stories of what happened in the, the revivals that happened in England and under the Wesleys and all the rest was an overwhelming sense of joy and gladness that people had had their lives turned upside down and turned around by an encounter with God and they were filled with joy and that's why there was a burst of songwriting and hymn writing and they they loved to sing. And Bruce said as he read the letters in various dusty libraries in Oxford and so on, you could literally see that the letters were smudged with tears of joy. As people wrote to John Wesley and said, my life has been turned around and transformed. It was a movement famous for its joy. Come down to the present day and our time and our place. And I want to ask the question, and just for us to think about, if we say to our friends and neighbours the words evangelical Christian or maybe born-again Christian, Do people think of a people who are filled with joy, or do they sometimes think of people who are always very serious, or quite stern, or quite heavy, or even sometimes quite angry? I wonder. Um, One writer described a Puritan as someone who lives with a haunting fear that somebody somewhere is having fun. Um, (laughs) And I, I'm not sure that that's fair to the Puritans historically, but it certainly describes how many people view Christians in our time. Um, and I, I find myself reminded again of Paul's words as he wrote to the Galatians. And he said to them, what has happened to all your joy? And I'm reminded that a movement that begins with a great burst of joy can lose its way and lose its joy. A church like the Galatian church that begins in a burst of transformed lives and joy can somehow lose its way and lose its joy. And any of us as an individual, we can begin our journey in a burst of joy and somewhere along the way we become serious and heavy and even angry. We can lose our joy. Um, Eugene Peterson tells a story which... Um, has, has deeply impacted me over the years and I go back to it again and again and he tells a story, I'm sure I've told it before of a young man at seminary um, training to be a pastor who was a brilliant student and he got A's in all his papers and stood out as the most gifted and eloquent in his class um, but one day the principal of the college called him into his office and said to him, I've been watching you among us for these last three years and I wonder if you should reconsider your calling because he said as I've been watching you you have all the, all the gifts and all the knowledge and all the eloquence but I don't see a lot of joy and this is what the, the principal said to the young man he said without joy how will you preach persuasively that the news is good right How are you going to persuade the world that we have good news of great joy for all people if in your own life there's no sign of that joy? I I go back often to that story because I wonder if sometimes, by no means all the time, but sometimes in our land, we've been running around saying the word gospel and saying the words good news and trying to persuade people that we have good news to share and they look at our lives and say, we don't see the joy. Um, in your lives, so that all sounds a little bit depressing. What what do we do? What do we do if we realise that we have lost our joy, that our joy is leaked away? Um, and I want to come back to our passage in Isaiah 55 and just some simple words that I think point the way for us. What do you do if you're thinking, I know I used to have that song of joy, but somewhere along the way it's kind of leaked away? Um, here's the invitation of this passage, I want to just pick out a couple of phrases. Come all who are thirsty. It's the invitation at the beginning. And in the middle of the passage, it just says, seek the Lord. In other words, joy is found in relationship with God himself. I don't have a a cleverer answer than that this morning. Joy is found in the presence and company of God. It's not to be found somewhere else. But in coming to him, in seeking him, if you realize something has happened to your joy, if your life has become very serious and very heavy and even a little bit angry, then this invitation is for you. Come to the waters. Seek the Lord himself. He will refresh you with living water, which is himself. (laughs) He will feed you with delightful food, which is the promise of this passage, which is his own presence. Um, What do you do if you've lost your joy? Come, seek the Lord. That's it. That's the wisest word uh, that I have for you this morning, that Isaiah has for you this morning. But I want to also point you to these words. Our passage says, let the wicked forsake their ways and let them turn to the Lord. Now that's a harder word to hear. There may be things we need to lay down that are robbing us of joy. We can fill our lives with things that rob us of joy, that steal our joy, that cause joy to leak away. Um, And those things may be obvious sin or they may be very subtle. Um, And just to pick two very obvious examples from our time and our culture, uh, both related to our devices and our mobile phones, it could be something like pornography, which is one of the great joy-stealers of our time, that gives pleasure but takes joy. So it could be something like that. And we need to find a way to, uh, with God, in God's strength and with the help of the Holy Spirit and with the help of our brothers and sisters, to forsake that, to throw it off, to cast it away. But it could also be something really subtle, uh, like our addiction to social media. Which in itself, maybe we're thinking, that's not sin. And yet it leads to comparison, which someone has said is the thief of joy. And it leads to envy, and it leads to pride, and in some cases leads to great anger with people who are wrong on the internet. Um, And it leads to all kinds of other things. And so again, it may be that for the sake of receiving the joy that God wants to give us, There are things we need to cast off. There are things we need to lay down that are stealing our joy. Um, It's kind of a paradoxical thing that repentance and joy go together. To receive the joy God wants to give, we need to lay down anything that hinders and the sin that entangles. Um, And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to show us what those things are for us. It's a prayer I want to encourage you to pray today. Ask him to show you what is it that's getting in the way of receiving his joy. What are the things you need to cast off? The obvious things, the more subtle things. Um, and again, as we think about that, our view of God's character is going to be key. Because if you think God is a cosmic spoilsport who just wants to spoil your fun, whenever he asks you to give something up, you're going to resist with all your might. But if you believe that God's desire is for your good and for your blessing and for your freedom and for your joy, then you're going to realize whenever he puts his finger on something and says, I want you to forsake that, I want you to give it up, I want you to cast it away, he's asking you to give up some small pleasure so he can fill your life with much greater joy. And The image that was kind of in my mind was, you imagine that you're standing with your arms full of rocks and someone's standing in front of you with a a gift tied with a big bow and they say to you would you put down the rocks so i can give you the the gift and you react tremendously defensively and say how dare you tell me to set down my rocks these are my rocks i love my rocks um why are you why are you interfering with my life and of course it would be ridiculous they're saying and you need to lay down the rocks so I can give you what I want to give you. And it's something like that on a much deeper scale that's involved when God says, I want you to set certain things down so I can fill your life with the joy of heaven. Um, The last thing I want to say is this. So those are kind of two big things. If your joy is leaked away, um, return to the Lord, come to the water, uh, seek the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to show you the things you need to repent of and throw down and cast away. Um, but my final word is kind of a more down-to-earth one um, and maybe a more fun one. Um, is I want to encourage you to go outside. <laughs> um, Why do I want to encourage you to go outside? Because the mountains are singing and the trees are clapping their hands. Um, and I don't know, when you when you hear that phrase, I guess that phrase could be about The future day when creation is going to be liberated from its bondage to decay. And it could be a description of the transformed nature of the life to come. But I think it's also a description of present reality. That actually right now the mountains are singing and the trees are clapping their hands. But so often we are too distracted or too dulled by all kinds of things that we don't hear it. Um, and I was talking to someone this week um, who knows about these things and they told me um, that researchers have identified three signs in particular um, whenever we're in creation which can have been measurably shown to alleviate stress and anxiety and depression and make people a bit more hopeful and a bit more resilient and even, yes, a bit more joyful. And Do you know what these th- those three signs are? You can probably guess. Um, the sound of bird song, the sound of flowing water and the sound of the wind in the tops of the trees um, and ironically of course I walked to church this morning uh, through Mount Sandal Forest because I thought I'd better go and be among the trees on my way to church but I was too busy thinking about my sermon and I kept, kept realising I wasn't listening and there it was the song of the birds the flowing of the water the wind in the tops of the trees. Being in God's creation will do you good. There's something of God's joy in his creation. There is a glad song going on all the time. And when we spend time among the mountains and trees, we start to hear it and some of that joy gets into us. And that's true even for people who don't know the creator. You can't help having it do you some good. But if you and I are coming awake and alive to God and our hearts are becoming tuned to his heart, then when we spend time in the world he has made, we will start to hear a song of praise and we will want to join in. And so yes, seek the Lord. That's the big thing I want to say to you this morning. Yes, forsake and cast off anything that entangles uh, and that steals your joy, but also can I encourage you and it's a good day to do it. Um, Get out into the world God has made and listen for the song of creation because it'll do you good and you'll find yourself wanting to join in. Let's pray together and then we're going to sing a song of response. Um, Father, I want to pray I want to pray very especially for anybody here today, anybody listening at home, who has a really strong sense that they've lost their joy. And maybe they remember a time when they used to go with gladness with your people uh, to your house to sing your praise, but they have that feeling that the song has died away. And now they're just going through the motions and it feels heavy and it feels dutiful and it feels very serious. Father, I want to pray um, this morning. Would you move among us by your spirit? Would you work in the depths of our hearts to restore a song of joy? We want to confess together that you are the joy giver. You're the only one who can really and deeply and truly make our hearts glad. And so, Father, would you begin that work this morning of restoring a song of joy where it's been lost. We pray for us as your people that we would go out with joy and be led forth in peace, and that the mountains and the hills would break into song before us and the trees of the field would clap their hands. Father, help us today to join in, with the song of creation. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.